Uh, I turned 40 back in October, and I think when you get a certain age, you begin to evaluate uh, certain decisions that you make in your life. You know what I'm saying? And how many of you would say that there have been some decisions in your life? Just being honest, there's some decisions in my life that if I had to do that over again, I probably wouldn't make the same decisions. How many of you just be honest about that today, right? Amen? Um, for some of you, it might be like, I got this weird tattoo, you know? Or, or maybe I got this girl's name that I was dating at the time and we're no longer together. Uh, we don't need to see it, but we're just saying, you know, maybe you regret that. Uh, maybe it's purchasing a car or going on a vacation or doing something that you regretted. And, you know, when you, when you go through that, there's this sense of regret, isn't there? And one of the fascinating things about being a follower of Jesus Christ, when we make poor decisions, and I, I tease a bit this morning about maybe going on a vacation or getting a tattoo or, you know, some of those things. But if we're honest with God today, I think most of us could point to a time in our life where we made a, a sinful choice, right? And we'd say, man, if I had that to do over again, I probably would like to have a do-over on that. Kind of like when you're playing golf, you say, ooh, I'd like a mulligan. I, wanna, I want another swing at that. Thankfully, in the kingdom of God, when we make sinful choices and we do things that we ultimately regret, God gives us a pathway uh, back to him, right? God gives us a way back to make things new in our life. The, the, the reality, though, for some of us, and I, and I don't know if you're this way, sometimes I find myself carrying the crushing weight of my own sinful choices. And I, I don't know if you do that, but I tend to be overly analytical, and I tend to internalize things in a way that is probably uh, emotionally and even spiritually unhealthy, and, and I, I, I kind of beat myself up over some of the decisions I make from time to time, specifically sinful decisions that I make. And so I tend to have this, uh, this idea that I, I need to carry the crushing weight of my own sin in order to feel free from that sin. And in the kingdom of God, it's introverted. Because Jesus says, no, 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 listen, I went to the cross, and I carried the cross to Calvary, and I hung on that tree, and I carried the weight of your sin for you. That's what Jesus does for us in the kingdom of God. So for me, it's kind of like I almost need to suffer needlessly before coming to God. Instead of leaving my sins at the cross, I pick them up and I carry them around. And I don't know if you're this way, but I, I tend to be that way, and I I tend to, 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 to remind myself, and I don't know if it's uh, myself all the time that reminds me of the things that I did to fail God. Maybe sometimes Satan just kind of uh, 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 slips into my ear, you know, when I'm getting ready to step up to preach, and he goes, hey, do you remember what you said this week? You remember what you thought this week? You remember, you remember how you treated this person this week or how you interacted with this? Or, uh, you know, all those things began to come. Hey, you remember when you did this when you were 14? Hey, you remember when you did this and uh, when you were in college or even a few years ago? Satan tends to remind me of the things that I did. And so I, I tend, and maybe you're not this way, but I tend to carry things with me that Jesus Christ has already nailed to a cross 2,000 years ago. And I'm going to tell you, this approach to living in the kingdom of God as a follower of Jesus Christ is exhausting. And it's, counter, it's counterproductive to the growth that God wants in your life. I imagine you found yourself without hope at some point in your life. Maybe you found your, yourself desperate from the choices that you've made. Maybe you went through a divorce. Maybe you um, uh, ended up uh, losing your virginity and you made some decisions sexually that you felt like, man, I shouldn't have done that. 
God's not pleased with this, and I wish if I could do this over again, I would have probably made this decision. And so, so we have all these regrets that we carry with us, and maybe this morning, some of those choices. Maybe some of those regrets are weighing you down, and you're not really exactly sure what to do. But one of the things that I really appreciate about the Bible is its brutal honesty. And one of the things that it does is it gives us stories of so many who, who, whose lives were less than perfect. That's how we know that we have an authentic copy of the Word of God. Because when you read through the Bible, there's some pretty messed up people in the Bible. I mean, if Moses were to come, and let's just say that, that there was a vacancy for the, for the pastor of Jackson Creek Baptist Church, I don't know that Moses would get his resume in. I mean, if you think about it, Moses killed a guy with his bare hands, right? I mean, it's not like he took him out like a sniper, but he physically went up to a dude and just grabbed him by the neck and choked him to death, right? You think about David, and we're going to talk a little bit about David today. David had a man murdered because he slept with his wife and got her, uh, uh, got her pregnant, and now he's got to have a kid with her, and David covered all of that up. You Look at Peter cursing out a young lady while Jesus is in view on the cross. 30 days later, he plants a church. So over and over, we see the brutal honesty of the Word of God and how God takes broken lives and He restores them and He reconstructs them and He sends us out to do His will in the kingdom of God. That's God's plan. It gives us stories like that of so many who are less than perfect, who had regrets, but they received hope and grace in their most despairing moments. And this morning, if you have some despair or you've lost hope or you're carrying the crushing weight of your sin, the Bible shows us how we can get to a better place. This morning, we find from the teaching of Jesus that kingdom makers have, have discovered the power of confession. They mourn over their sin, and when they do, they find hope. And so the key thought this morning is this. When sinful choices are crushing you, confession is the catalyst to comfort. When sinful choices are crushing you, maybe that's, that's your story today. And I want to tell you, if that's your story and you find yourself in a place today where your sin is weighing you down and you feel like there's no hope and there's no way forward and that maybe God is done with you, I'm here to tell you this morning, hey, if you can find in your heart to confess to God the choices that you've made, you are on the path to redemption. You're on the path to renewal. You're on the path to God's plan and purpose for your life. Some of you this morning, you've been running from God and and are far from God, and you're afraid to come to Him because you thought coming home would be a whooping, but it's very clear this morning that Jesus said in John 3.17, I have not come to condemn the world, but I have come to save the world. Jesus didn't come to condemn us. He came to rescue us. That's God's plan this morning. Maybe you're afraid to admit your sinful choices. Or maybe you're just afraid this morning of what God has in store for you. You know how you, you know if you understand the gospel? I read this this week. You know how you understand if you understand, like truly understand the gospel? If you view it this way, I can't tell my dad what I did because he's going to give me a whooping. Or I'm in trouble, I need to call my dad. A person who says, I'm in trouble, and I need to call my dad, that's a person who understands the gospel. Because God, in our despairing moments, in our sinful moments, doesn't want us running from him. He wants us running to him. And the Bible gives us a clear path on what that looks like. 
And one of the things that I want us to see in this passage of Scripture this morning is that those of us who are self-righteous never discover satisfaction. Those of us who are self-righteous never discover, they never discover satisfaction. Now, if you're going to confess and mourn your sin, I mean, truly mourn. God, man, God, I, I, I've, I've truly messed up my life. God, I've made a decision in my life that, that really is unfavorable. It's a transgression. It's a sin. It's what nailed you to the cross rather than rationalizing away the choice that I made or giving excuses or making up reasons for why we did what we did. Now, listen, I was born to J.C. and Doris Workman, October 3rd, 1978, Winter Haven Hospital, Winter Haven, Florida. My dad, growing up, was abusive to my mom. He was physically abusive to her, and he was verbally abusive to her. Now, growing up in a home like that for 18 years until I went to college, I picked up on some things. I picked up on some good things. My dad had a great work ethic. For my entire life that I knew him, he worked uh, for a company called Mac Asphalt, and he would go and he would lay asphalt in the Florida heat, and it gets hot there. I don't know if you know that, but it gets warm there. My dad had a heart condition. 50% of his heart was damaged from a heart attack that he had uh, younger in life. And uh, he laid asphalt, and he did that for years so that, 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 that we could have a home over our head and a, 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 a roof over our head and clothes on our back and food on the table. But growing up in that type of environment, I learned some things. I learned how to be really aggressive. I learned how to be very direct. There were times growing up that I had to step in between my mom and my dad when they were fighting and they were arguing, and I had to, I had to separate them from my mom's safety. To this day, when I go home, my mom and I have this, this weird kind of relationship that stresses my wife out because she just doesn't understand how we communicate the way that we do. And, and, and part of the reason is, is because I had to step into a context as a, as a young man that I never should have had to step into because of the sins of my father. And I don't say that to... The little my dad, um, I believe he's in heaven today, and I'm not trying to uh, um, uh, minimize, you know, who he was. But I say that because it would be very easy for me to be like, well, you know what, I'm a jerk because I grew up in a home of an abuser. Or, hey, I, I can be mean to my wife, or I, I have this problem with my attitude or my pride or my ego simply because I grew up in this environment. And what we tend to do is say, oh, well, that's the way I was raised. Or if you knew my story, listen, to some degree, Our story shapes who we are, but it's not the end of the story because when we come to the cross, God begins to rewrite your story. God begins to make all things new. But if I'm self-righteous and I'm like, hey, look, this is just the way I am, or hey, I'm not as bad as this person, there's no way for us to find hope in Jesus Christ. You see, self-righteousness is evidence the moment. Please note this today. It's evidence the moment that we begin to maximize our sin and minimize the sins of others. And we all tend to do that. We maximize other people's sins. And we say, hey, you know, I can't believe they did that. Now, here's an honest confession today. A couple weeks ago, I was at a conference, and I was listening to a pastor speak, and I heard him say some things, and I thought in my head, and I think I may have even said it to my wife, I said, man, I wish such and such could hear this. Now, I know as a pastor, I've said this to uh, audiences before in church, you know, church context before, I say, hey, don't think about the person that needs to hear us. Think about the person that's sitting in your chair today, and you need to hear it, right? And I did the exact opposite of what I preached others to do, and I said, man, I really wish so-and-so was here to hear this because it would be good for them. And I'm going to tell you, it wasn't a week later. I got a phone call, and I had to have a conversation with someone, and they spoke into my life 
in such a way that it was for the same exact thing that I was saying. I wish this person could hear that. I'm going to tell you, I haven't been that humiliated. and I hadn't been that embarrassed in a really long time. But it reminded me. It reminded me of the deception of self-righteousness. Because we tend to think and believe that we're better than other people. And because we're not having adultery, we're not looking at pornography, we're not going out and, and getting drunk in the bar and staggering home or waking up the next day in an El Camino, not knowing how we got there, right? Right? Well, I'm not as bad as that guy. I'm not, I'm not going out and buying heroin and drugs. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a sexual uh, offender or any of those things. But I'm going to tell you, when Jesus was speaking to this crowd, he was talking about who these men would become, not what they did. And he was talking to uh, the Pharisees and the religious elite of that day. And he was breaking down and deprogramming and deconstructing the self-righteousness of these men so that they could get to a place of renewal with Jesus Christ. You see, God, God wants to turn you and me into mourners. God wants to turn you and me into professional repenters. You see, mourners recognize the overwhelming need of God's grace to cover their sin, and they find hope and freedom in Christ. So this week, while I felt humiliated, and I felt embarrassed by being confronted about my own sin, it's kind of like in the Old Testament, Nathan, there was a guy that approached David, he was a pastor, and, and, and Nathan gives him this story and says, hey, what would you do if someone took this one guy's lamb, and he had like 100 lambs? He goes, well, that guy should be... He should be executed for that. David's anger just went insane. Well, tell me who the guy is. I'll take care of this. He goes, David, you're the guy. You had everything, and you took away from this man the one lamb he had. And that's what we tend to do. We minimize our own stuff, and we maximize the stuff of everyone else. And friends, if we're going to find our way into the kingdom of God, it'll only be when we confess and mourn and repent over our sins. I want, to, I want you to consider to you this morning, not just the self-righteous, never-discovered satisfaction, but I want you to consider this. Covering your sins has consequences. Consequences of covering your sin. You know, it's natural for us to cover our sin. I mean, it's just the natural byproduct of being a human being. We don't want people to see the worst of us. I know I don't. I think we work hard at presenting a veneer, if you will, that we want people to know who we are, and we only let people into certain parts of our life. We, you can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve, the first couple in the Bible, when they attempted to do this, when God said, don't eat of, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Eat anything you want. Do whatever you want. Name the animals. Have fun. Be fruitful and multiply, but don't eat this tree. And they do. They eat the tree. The first thing they do is they, they go and they hide in the bushes, and they cover themselves with leaves, and they, they try to cover their stuff rather than owning what they did and coming to God and saying, look, we did what you told us not to do. We all have a tendency to do this. The hard truth this morning is that there isn't any hope for the person <clears throat> that covers their brokenness and sinfulness. In fact, whenever you try to cover your stuff, whenever you try to cover your sin, whenever you try to cover your mistakes and the choices you've made, can you just mark it down today that it only makes things worse? It only makes things worse. There are several people in the Bible who covered instead of confess. And if you're unwilling to confess or acknowledge sin, it's likely that you're operating from a space of pride or self-righteousness. And listen, Jesus says there's no space in the kingdom of God for pride. There's no space for that. In fact, Proverbs 28.13 says 
Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes, that man, he'll find mercy. Do you get that this morning? So I don't know what you've done today. I don't know what sinful choice that you have in your life right now that you're trying to hide from your wife or your husband or your kids or your pastor or your growth group or or even God for that matter. I don't know what you're trying to hide today, but I can tell you this. If you try to cover it, listen, you will not prosper. And number says, be sure your sin will find you out. Galatians says, be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. So at some point, if we don't come to God with our sin, it's going to be found out anyways. David knew the price of sin. Ben read Psalm 32 this morning. and David describes a time when he tried to cover his sin. The covering of sin has consequences that cannot be avoided. David was a man, even though he sinned greatly before God, and he sinned greatly in his role as the uh, king of Israel, David was still considered a man after God's own heart. And he wasn't considered a man after God's own heart because he kept all the rules. You with me? Because David didn't keep the rules. David really messed up his life. David brought ruin and shame to his name, to his legacy, and he really damaged what could have been a great family. His own son betrayed him. Absalom uh, tried to take over his kingdom. His daughter Tamar was raped. His firstborn with Bathsheba died. David, David felt the weight of these consequences, but God still said and says of him in the word of God, David was a man after my own heart. You know why? Because even in his sinfulness, he was a man who wanted to have a relationship with God. He was a man who ran to God. In Psalm 32, 3 and 4, it says, For when I kept silent, my bones waxed or wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Selah, rest. And friends, I don't know about you, but have you ever been in a place where you knew you were doing something wrong? Somebody say amen today. Right? You know what I'm talking about? You knew your attitude was wrong. You knew there were some things in your life that, that shouldn't be in your life. You knew that there was a, a critical spirit or a complaining attitude or, 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 or there was bitterness that was welling up inside of you. You knew there was this, sitting, uh, this secret hidden compartment that no one else knew about, but God knew about it. And you felt, as this verse said, when I kept silent, my bones, like physically, you just began to feel like you were nothing. And then it goes on to say, for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. Your hand, it felt like you were crushing me. And I'm going to tell you, if you feel like that today, it is a gift from God. Because it means that you're one of his children. Because if you don't feel that, if you feel no remorse and no conviction or, or no need to confess and repent before God and own your sinfulness to the one who loves you, the one who died for you, It'd probably be a good idea to question, am I really a follower of Jesus Christ? If you know anything about David, you know he did some messed up things. As I already mentioned, he slept with a guy's wife and had the guy murdered. And what I want you to see this morning in David's life is the same thing that can be true in your life. When sin is great, God's grace is greater. I mean, it's hard for me to fathom the power, the powerful transforming truth of Romans 5.20 where it says that where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. 
in the original language is that word abound in the English language just, just doesn't really capture what Paul is trying to say. But Paul is saying where sin increased, grace superabounded, right? And that doesn't mean that because there's grace, I can go on sinning. No, it means because there is grace, I don't have to sin anymore. And so grace abounds all the more. So if you've ever felt the crushing weight of your sin and your choices, you don't have to run from God. This morning you can run to God and you can experience His forgiveness and hope. I want you to see how this works. Because this morning we need to understand that confession provides comfort. And that's what Jesus is saying back in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And ultimately, that's what Jesus is speaking of. He's not talking about death. He's not talking about disappointment in life and all the things that we might feel as a felt need. He's talking about those of us who mourn the sinfulness of our lives. The sinfulness and the choices that we make that have devastated us and left us without hope and have caused us to despair. Jesus says when you come to a place of confession, you will then come to a place of comfort. Jesus is teaching us that the only response to our sin is mourning. It's not rationalizing. It's not making excuses. It's not coming up with reasons for why you did or said or acted the way uh, in which you did. No, he's saying, listen, if you want to find grace, that grace will come the moment you mourn your sin. You see, the world mocks sin, but Jesus calls us to mourn our sin. The world makes light of sin. They think it's a joke. But for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, we recognize that our sin is what nailed Jesus to the cross 2,000 years ago. Jesus invites me and you to bring our sin to Him, to mourn over our mistakes and to find grace and to heal the brokenness that we have caused. Christ died to rescue us from the brokenness that sin causes in our life. And I want you to know this morning that sin destroys every good thing God has planned for your lives. you know that today? Sin destroys every good thing that God has planned in your life. And there's some of you that are in the room this morning, you're kind of nodding along because you know that some of the choices that you've made have destroyed some of the best parts of your life. And God says, listen, if you'll come to me and you'll confess and you'll mourn, listen, the places that you have broken, I will put back together. I will do that. We put the cross up today, and I'll explain to you why we did that here in just a moment. But I want you to just take a moment this morning, and I want you to look at the cross that we have in the room today. Just take a look at it. Because I want you to be reminded, because I believe this morning that the cross is a visual reminder that confession is available to anyone and everyone who brings their sin to Jesus Christ. When you look at the cross, it's a, it's a visual reminder it's not, a, it's not a piece of jewelry that you wear around your neck. It's not a joke. It's a reminder. It's a reminder that Jesus Christ died for my sins, and it is the pathway to hope for those of us who mourn and are broken over our sinful choices. And I want to ask you, what more do we need? What more do we need? Because if we've been forgiven of our sin, and God is willing to give us hope and restore and repair what we've, what we've broken, what more do we really need? It's fascinating in our world today 
we pursue so much of this world thinking that it will ultimately fulfill us and bring us satisfaction when Jesus Christ gives us all that we need in this world to have hope and peace and to be sustained with joy until the day we meet him in heaven. A lifestyle of sin that attempts to cover brokenness will leave us without hope. It'll leave you discouraged. It'll leave you despairing. And Jesus says there's a way out. If you look back in Psalm 32 and verses 1 and 2, it says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. You with me today? Blessed is the man who the Lord looks at and there is no iniquity in his life. Can I get an amen? I mean, when you think about that for a minute, I don't know about you, but for me, I don't know what you brought in terms of a burden this morning, but I know that I've done some things in my life that more than once I wish I had a mulligan. More than once I said something I wish I could have reeled it back in. More than once I experienced something by my own choice that I wish, man, I wish I could get a do-over. Some things that I've done that have hurt people that were sinful, and I'm like, oh, man, I wish I could do that all over again. And while I may be reminded of it from time to time, The Bible says that when I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ and I confessed him as Lord and I began to follow him with my life, he he takes away all of my iniquity. And as John said this morning in the opening worship set, hey, listen, as we look at the snow today, don't moan the snow. It's a picture and it's a reminder that we're as white as snow. And he washes it away and makes all things new. In verse 5, David said, I acknowledge my sin. You don't know how to find hope this morning? You know what the way out is this morning? You know what the first step, the comfort is this morning? Acknowledge your sin. Just acknowledge what you've done before God. I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. I don't know about you, but that kind of just makes me want to shout. Amen? It kind of makes me get excited. It makes me want to rejoice because no matter how bad things get on this planet or no matter how things get in my life, at the end of the day, I'm still forgiven. I'm still a child of God. And there's coming a day where there'll be no more sin and there'll be no more tears. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more death and no more sickness because one day Jesus is going to make all things new and he's going to reconcile all things unto himself. Oh, man. But I want to tell you, until you recognize that covering your sin is not an option, hope and blessing will be elusive. You'll never attain the joy and the purpose you were created to experience because God has more for our lives. And listen, sin ruins God's best in your life. I said this last week, and I want to remind you again today, Jackson Creek is a place for sinners. And if you're a sinner, you're welcome here. It doesn't matter if you're black or white, rich or poor, gay or straight, Married, single, or divorced. At Jackson Creek, we believe that Jesus came for all of us and his righteousness can make all things new in our lives no matter the choices that we've made and the choices that we regret. So if you find yourself this morning feeling the weight of the choices that you've made in your life, sin is crushing you, and you don't know where to turn, can I just encourage you to turn to Jesus this morning? Can I just encourage you to take that first step and say, God, I've sinned and I've sinned against you. And the choices that I've made and the decisions of my life that I've, that I've allowed into my life, 
have not only hurt you, but they've hurt my family. They've hurt my wife. They've hurt my kids. They've hurt my friends. They've hurt my church. Imagine for a moment, if you will, imagine how different your life would be if you brought your sin to Jesus today. Imagine just for a moment how different it would be. Because when sinful choices are crushing you, confession is the catalyst to comfort. Remember that. When sinful choices are crushing you, confession is the catalyst to comfort. Imagine how your life would be different today if you brought your sin to Jesus. Would your marriage be different if you started confessing the sin that you brought into your marriage? Would your marriage be different if you started confessing that sin that you've brought into your marriage? Would your relationship with your parents be different if you started confessing sin? Would your, would your relationship with your kids be different if you started confessing the hurt that you've caused? Listen, Jesus will bring the comfort the moment that you start confessing your sinfulness to Him. This morning you can experience comfort the moment you confess your sin. But I want you to understand something. Today, I I recognize most of us in here today are followers of Christ. But I want you to note this. Kingdom makers mourn their sin, but kingdom makers also live on mission. Please write that down today. Kingdom makers mourn their sin, but they also live on mission. It's not in your notes today, but I'd love for you to jot that down. You know, this morning, as followers of Jesus Christ, we have a responsibility to bring comfort to the comfortless. You know, if you're here today and you're more concerned about the donuts and the coffee and whether one of the pastors spoke to you more than you are about making disciples, you're going to struggle to fulfill the mission of Jesus Christ. And I don't say that to be mean. Our pastors try to be available. We try to have good donuts. We try to, we have a Keurig back there. It's instant coffee, you know what I'm saying? Several choices. But if we're more concerned about consuming religious goods than contributing to the kingdom of God, you're going to struggle in the mission of God. Because God's not concerned about what donuts we have or how much coffee we make or the kind of coffee. You know what he's concerned about? The family that's coming in, and this is their last hope. They're at the end of their rope, and they're just wondering, we're going to try church and see if we can put our marriage back together. And my teens are running from God, and they're out doing drugs, or they're out... Uh, with the wrong crowd, and we're going to bring them to church, and this is the last hope that we have, and we're going to bring them to this church, and we're going to get them under the sound of the Word of God, and this is it for us. And if we're more concerned about all the the, the consumerism of the day, we're going to miss out on the opportunity to contribute in an eternal way that could impact and alter a family's life forever. Kingdom makers have a mission to bring comfort to the comfortless. We bring hope to the hurting, and we share with them the love of Jesus. Joby Martin said it this way, start praying for an opportunity to point people to Jesus, and that's a prayer that God can't wait to answer. Hey, listen, in your growth groups this week, I want to challenge you. Instead of praying for all the health requests, let's start praying for some requests of people to come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. I'm not opposed to praying for health. I want good health. I pray for my mama every day. She's got diabetes and high blood pressure, and she's got a lot going on in her life, and she's uh, approaching her 80s, and, and she's getting up there. And when I call her, I'll say, Mom, how's it going? She goes, I'm doing good. How about you? What are you up to? And I'm like, I'm looking for assisted living communities for you. She's like, why is that? I'm like, well, in case you want to move up here, I'm trying to find the worst place I can find for you, right? Keep living with my brother, <laughs> But I pray for her all the time, and I pray for her well-being. But, but if those types of prayers exceed the prayers of those who are lost and broken, hey, listen, we then begin to become a church that's inward rather than a church that's being sent out. 
kingdom makers, they bring comfort to those who experience that lack of hope. Once somebody said it this way, if we had an accurate view of eternity, both the joy of heaven and the hopelessness of hell, everything would change about our priorities. Whew. If we had an accurate view of eternity, the joy of heaven, the hopelessness of hell, everything would change about our priorities. Now next week, we're going to ask you to do something kind of special. We're going to do it today, but because of the weather, I was afraid that uh, most people would stay at home. And uh, did it fall out? Sure did. I was afraid that, you know, folks wouldn't come today because they, they would think that we're on the road to Mordor battling for Middle Earth just because it snowed outside in Chicago in the spring. All my Lord of the Rings fans out there, hey! Everyone else is like, what are you talking about? What is Mordor? Is that a Bible character? <laughs> no, it was Tolkien, and he's a Christian, but he's not in the canon, right? I want to pray, and I want to ask our church to partner with all of our pastors this coming Easter. The, the church is growing. It's pretty evident that we're seeing a move of God in our church and in this community. We've had to set out extra chairs, and uh, most weeks we're pretty packed in here. And even today with the snow, it's still pretty great attendance today. But I'm praying, I'm asking God that we'd have our church family invite 2,000 people to Easter, uh, you know, here in about five weeks. 2,000. We got about, we've got probably two, uh, I don't know, three or 400 people that, that would call our church home. You know, in total. Now, not all you jokers show up on the same Sunday, right? But I'm just saying, we got a lot of people that call Jackson Creek home. But I figured, I said, you know, if I could get 200 people, myself, my wife, my kids, all of us included, if we could invite 10 people to church on Easter, I think we could fill this place out for two services. Not because we're trying to make a name for ourselves, but we're trying to make a name for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We're trying to make sure that people that are unchurched and irreligious, not, not people that go to a good gospel-preaching church, but people that are, that, are, that are not in church. I want you to think about it this week, and I want you to consider ten people that you know that you could bring to church on Easter Sunday for one of those two services, 9 a.m. or 10.30. And then we're going to ask our children's workers to serve in one and then attend one. We're going to ask our greeters to serve at one, work in one. It's going to be an opportunity for us to live missionally and to really come together as a church family to see what God can do through us as we cooperate together and as we commit to Him and to the mission of God. And what I'm going to ask you to do next week is write down the names of 10 people that you want to bring. Okay? And then what we want you to do next Sunday, because we just believe that if you're going to come to Christ, the only way to come to Christ is you come to Him at the foot of the cross. We're going to ask you to write down the, the names of 10 people that, that you want to bring to church and that you want them to hear the gospel and that you want them to come. Because I believe that's a prayer God will answer. I believe that if you come to God and say, man, I got my neighbor. and My neighbor doesn't know Jesus and I've got this coworker and they don't know Jesus. And I, I genuinely believe that if, 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 the, if the season is ripe, they'll come and they'll hear the gospel. And guess what? They'll come to know Christ as their Savior. I think about Samantha Koff who came a couple years ago, and, and it was her first Sunday. Two years ago, she came on an Easter Sunday, and she came to Christ. Amen? And then last year, we had Leanne, and she came on Easter. And a few weeks after that, she got saved. Amen? I mean, God is, 
God is still into people coming to Christ and getting saved. And the only way to do that is at the foot of the cross. And so we want you to write those names down, set them down here. And that week, what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to start uh, either stapling them or, or, or pasting them here on the cross. So every week, it'll be a visual reminder of the people that you're praying for, that they would come to the Easter services and come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. You know why? Because kingdom makers mourn their sin, but they live on mission for Jesus Christ. And they recognize, they recognize that we have been commissioned to bring comfort to the comfortless. That's our commission. And so we're going to ask you, all of our pastors, me and John and Mike and Ben and the staff, we're going to work hard and and we're going to do our best to provide an incredible opportunity and experience for those to come who've never maybe even been in church before to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And I want you to invite, but I also want you to do another thing. I want you to pray. I want you to pray for your friends. I want you to pray for your pastors. Because anytime we enter into a season, we're going to a spiritual battle. We're getting ready to push back the gates of hell. We're getting ready to make a difference for eternity. And Satan doesn't like that. He's going to do everything he can to cause strife and division in your home, in the church, uh, in your work. He's going to find every distraction that could possibly come your way to get you to be derailed off the mission that God has given us over the next five weeks. And I'm going to pray, and I want you to pray with us. Oh, man, that we might make a difference together in these next five weeks. So if I could have every head bowed and every eye closed, how many say to me this morning, Pastor, I know for certain that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and I know I'm forgiven of my sins. I know heaven is my home, and I know that I put my trust and faith in Jesus Christ, and I can give testimony of that today. Would you lift your hand and let me pray for you? Amen. Now, how many of you say to me this morning, Pastor, I don't know for certain that I'm a follower of Christ. I don't know that I've been forgiven of my sins. I don't know that heaven is my home. If I were to die today, I don't know where I would spend eternity. Would you lift your hand and let me pray for you today? Is there anyone that's like that today? So let me pray for you this morning. Amen. Now, how many of you say to me this morning, Pastor, I, I really... There's some areas in my life that I've kind of compartmentalized and I've kind of cut off from God. Man, I want to get that right. I'm feeling some discomfort in my life, and I want to make sure that I find the comfort that Christ has offered me through confession. And I just want to lift my hand and ask for prayer today. Amen, 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 amen. Anyone else, just lift your hand. No one's looking around. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. How many of you say to me this morning, Pastor, I want to be a part of something great. I want to be a part of reaching this community with Christ. And there's some folks that God has already laid on my heart. And I want to start praying for them even yet today. Would you lift your hand? Oh, man, I see hands all over the room. Maybe this morning when John begins to sing on that first note, you could come to the altar and just start committing those names to Jesus Christ. Oh, man, that God would open a door for the gospel to go through, a wide open door for him to work. Father in heaven, I pray, Lord, for those of us that are in here today that we feel from time to time the crushing weight of our sin. We feel the brokenness of our lives. And Lord, it's a, it's a brokenness and it's a, it's a weight that we don't need to carry. It's something, God, that you've nailed to the cross 2,000 years ago. And the moment we confess our sin, we find comfort and hope and strength and renewal in your presence. So Lord, I, I just pray that maybe today would be a moment of revival and renewal in our church. Because God, before you can use us, oftentimes we need, to, we need to confess some things and we need to get some things right in our life. Pray as David did, create in me a clean heart, oh God, and 
renew a right spirit within me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation and uphold me with your spirit. Oh, that that might be our prayer today. That would revive us again that thy people might rejoice in you. That always begins with a season of confession and renewal. So God, cleanse our hearts, our hands, our minds, and our lives and make us new. I pray, Lord, that in these coming weeks, we'd have our eyes on the prize. We would look to the author and the finisher of our faith, Jesus Christ. And that we would remember that we are disciples who the moment that we were saved, we were simultaneously called into the mission of God. That we are kingdom makers who bring comfort to the comfortless. We are called to bring hope to a world that is without Jesus Christ. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, I pray.